met Sue Wood before. She's one of the most fascinating people I know. She has got a huge, interesting story and background which she's going to share with us. She has an amazing knowledge about the body and about uh, Chinese medicine, about many different methods, Tai Chi, Qigong, and also the body clock. So welcome, Sue, and thank you for taking out to join us this evening. How are you? I am good, yes. Finding it really, really interesting in these times, um, but using all the tools, which I'm gonna share with you tonight. And um, yeah, I just think it's, if we use it right, it can be a really positive time. Yes, absolutely. So first of all, tell us, where are you? I am in Farnham, okay. which to all intents and purposes, for those of you who don't know it, is the home counties. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, between, uh, between London and Portsmouth in the south. Um, and it's a beautiful evening and all is well. But you've not always lived in Farnham, have you? No, I, um, I started life in Kent. No, I started life in Malaysia. So I was actually born in Malaysia. And that was really interesting because um, I was born on Christmas Day. My mother had a bit of a time giving birth to me. And so the original people looking after me were Malay armors, hmm. or nannies. And they often say that there is a, a bond or a link that's formed with the person actually looking after you that will see you for the rest of your life. So I've always felt very comfortable with that part of the world, which is interesting. And then I, we came back because it was dangerous. There were lots of, um, you know, um, communism and shootings. And so um, we came home and then I lived in Kent and then I moved to Headley, and, which is near here. And then I went to Farringdon with my second husband and then I went to India. And how long were you in India for? Well, um, if I just start the story, what happened was um, I, I came, I eventually landed up in Farnham and I was an antique dealer. And um, I used to work in the restaurant business at night. So it was all, you know, and then go out to the markets and duck and dive. And I got really sick because you name it, I took it to support my lifestyle. And um, I nearly popped my clogs. Um, wait a minute, I'm going to close my um, mail because it's going to... I wonder what that was. I was looking around here going, I've closed everything off. There should be no uh, beeping noise. Um, right, that should be better. So there's no beeping. Anyway, so, um, and what happened was, um, when I came out the other side, I was sort of born with a knowing, a need to, you know, I'll take that comes into the story later on. But... Basically what happened was I nearly died and I went to the NHS and I said, you know, what can you do to help me? And they said, well, we've got, you know, our tools are drugs. And I said, well, I've taken enough of those. Um, you know, I don't want any more. And they said, is there anything else? No, painkillers, antidepressants, all that sort of thing. So I was taken to this amazing little doctor called Dr. Wajid. He was Indian. He was, um, he did acupuncture Chinese medicine. And he used to stick needles in me and sort of grunt and not say anything and said eventually, you know, you've got to change the way you live your life. You've got to change the way you think. You've got to change the way you eat. And I said to him one day, I said, 
if you tell me to not eat one more thing, more thing, I'm not coming back anymore. And he looked at me over his glasses and he said, I think you eat to live, not live to eat. So having got allergic, which I'll talk about in a minute, to a lot of foods, I um, cut them out of my diet. And then, you know, obviously I've gone back to them over time. And he turned my life around. But the thing was, with um, Oriental people, with Indian people, they, um, they don't explain it. They just do it. It seems to be in their DNA. And I was so fascinated by how, how someone could completely change my life. I had a school. Um, I eventually taught it. So I taught Shiatsu, first of all, which was Japanese, from a lovely little chap called Waharu Ohashi, who um, he lost all his family in um, Hiroshima, or Hiroshima, as he used to call it. And he decided with one little suitcase he was going to heal the West. So he set off to America and then eventually started teaching shiatsu. And shiatsu, I'm really glad I learned it because rather than acupuncture, it's the same principles, but it's all about movement and moving the body into certain positions and ac accessing certain meridian lines and things like that. So I, I trained in that, had a school, um, and then sadly I lost my husband in a road accident and so I took off to India with, um, you know, to go, because it was quite cool. If you lost everything, including all your house, your money, where's it cool? India. So, um, and there I, I went into quite a remote place. And the job was to take people out of the hotels and give them a real essence of India. So they ate with uh, local dishes. They ate with their fingers. They went out on safari. And I learned about... Um, I was always doing yoga, but then know what the gentlemen taught yoga in India, not the, the, the women. So I had to teach, you know, yoga. And then I learned some Ayurvedic daughters. And I was actually fascinated by how people lived and looked after their health without any drugs. I mean, the only drugs were, you know, in the sort of local shop where you pulled out the drawer and helped yourself to some, you know, Hand, um, given handout medicines that somebody had taken back to the chemist in this country. And um, when I came back, I thought, well, I'll go back to doing shiatsu. And that wasn't it. I then went um, to teach chi ball and that involved yoga, tai chi, Taoism, living according to the seasons and nature and all that kind of thing. And then I went into the fitness industry and took yoga and tai chi and qigong to the, um, to the fitness industry um, and meditation. People that don't know, I mean, you, you have seasonal Pilates, that was your, yeah. your program and very involved with that. Can you just give a quick, I know we're here to talk about the body club, but quick thing about your view of Pilates and the seasons. Yes, I mean, um, uh, this is fascinating because what I have a school of called seasonal yoga. So we basically teach yoga, but in the seasons. And you can do the same thing with Pilates. And what it is basically is that all of your organs in your body um, are linked to a certain time of year. They resonate with that time of year. And they're different characters or natures living in your body. So you've got the liver is like spring. It needs to move its muscles and joints. It needs to plan ahead. Everything that spring is in nature is that energy that resonates for the liver. The heart likes to circulate, pump, get it out there. 
that um, the, the stomach and spleen like to digest and transform stuff. The lungs like to take in and let go. So they're like autumn. Late summer is the stomach. So it's a time of closing in. And then you go into the winter, which is the kidneys. So each organ resonates to a season. And that's the type of energy and the brain, the type of energy that they need to, if you like, reboot themselves. So if you've got someone with a, you know, a, a liver out of balance, the last thing you can say to the liver is be still because it just stagnates and you get really windy and it's not what the liver likes. The liver likes to move. So you'd stretch, you'd open up, you become, you know, doing everything, muscles and joints to move the body. Whereas the kidneys just like to plug in, recharge, rest, and, and the same with the brain. So it's why winter is the time for the kidneys. So, you know, even if you're in summer, if you want to recharge your kidneys and your energy is low, you need to rest, which is why, um, you know, if you think about it, you think about um, sympathetic and parasympathetic, you know, think about sort of resting and the parasympathetic and then the sympathetic highly charged. We've, as a, as a you know, universe have been so on high charge and I think this time is, you know, we're, we're burning, but we're not, we're not able to cleanse what we're producing and what we're doing. We're polluting our energy. We're polluting the earth. We're polluting ourselves. And I think this time of rest, enforced rest, has actually not just for the, you know, for the planet, but for ourselves as well. So, you know, we've been forced into that parasympathetic mode. And so when you take that energy into Pilates, what's interesting, if you have different natures in the body, you also have different muscles that, pre, uh, that do what they call, um, uh, it's called psychopostural. So certain muscles will relate to certain organs and uh, will hold you in a certain posture related to the nature of that organ. So if you like, you know, this, um, the sacrospinalis muscles are obviously about the bladder and then you've got the psoas muscle that wraps around the kidneys. You've got the um, pectorials, which allow you to take up your axe and hack the head off somebody because it's quite aggressive. Um, the rhomboids, like a sergeant major. You've got the, um, you've got the heart, which is all about the um, subscapularis muscle because the back of the heart. It's fascinating how the muscles will hold you in a certain position that relate to the posture as you feel it in your body. So it is related very much to this psychopostural analysis as well. Right. So, I mean, we've now six weeks, I, I, it gets blurry as to how many weeks we've been, yeah, been in weeks. this now. now. Obviously, the, the hardest thing was the, the change of schedule. You know, everyone was running around doing what they were doing and suddenly that changed. And I felt disorientated, definitely, for the first week. It was, I didn't quite know where I was. Oh, my body doesn't. So when we come back to look at the body clock, which is what we're looking at tonight, um, and being healthy, where would you start? Where would you start looking at what we're doing and how we're doing it? Okay, well, you know, um, what we'll do is we'll, we'll put it on, up on the screen in a moment. But this, you know, this was my 
um, my passion was um, that one of the things that I learned that, you know, 30 years ago when I, well, 25 years ago when I met Dr. Wadjid, because he told me about this clock and how um, the organs have, if you like, a high tide and a low tide running through them. So, you, you know, you never get nothing because then you'd be brain dead or, you know, your heart would stop. So you have a, a, a time when the organ is at maximum output and a time when it's not. Um, and um, we, one of the things that got me going with that was I was living against my clock. Um, and there has been a, um, a thing, you know, with the, the doctors and nurses that I spoke earlier on the front line, and a lot of them having to do shift patterns, um, which again puts the clock out. And if the clock is out, then um, you don't metabolize carbohydrates very well. You tend to put on weight. You're, go you're trying to digest food when your digestive system should be resting. Um, and um, so the people on the front line, if you like, are the ones that are almost are most vulnerable to this particular virus. Um, so what I've done is I've put together a sequence called the body clock flow, where you work on the meridian lines, which are the energy lines to and from that organ. Now on each, um, it's a shame I haven't got anybody here because I've already got my teddy, which we probably wouldn't do, but um, you can actually reset somebody's clock by going round all the meridian lines and by moving the body in certain ways to open up the meridians. But also what nature's given you is little circuit breakers on your body that flick off when the system is overloaded. Now, um, it, it, what, what you realize is that each organ has a physical function. So when you go to the doctor, the doctor will say, this is what your liver does. It does da -da 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 okay in your body and they can see it and they can monitor it but also you have uh, an energy pathway to that organ which is called a meridian line and that controls the flow of energy to and from the organ so what's interesting is the organ also has not just an energetic pathway but it has emotions and a mental function that is also governed by the organ and a spiritual function so you've got different levels it's all it's all one organ but different levels just as we have we've got a physical body but we've also got an energetic body we've got um which is governed by the fascia which i'll come to later we've also got an emotional body so we're feeling different emotions we've also got a mind where we're thinking different thoughts and then we've also got a higher principle that is governing all those things so um with the liver, the, um, en the emotion for the liver, if it's overloaded, is anger and frustration. So what does the liver do? It detoxifies the body, it processes, does over 500 jobs, and it needs to have all the other organs asleep when it does most of its functions, which is over these 500 chemical processes. And also, the liver governs your ability to plan, to think ahead, to organize. So you can see, and it governs your, each organ governs a sight, um, governs a sense. So the organ governs your eyesight. Whereas the heart 
governs obviously your sense of speech, your sense of touch, it governs your excitement, your feeling of joy, it governs, um, you know, it has obviously meridian lines, which run from the armpit to the little finger. It has physical functions. It pumps around to all the other organs. So each organ, as I say, has these different levels. So um, the key thing with the organs and with the, um, the, the postural analysis of the organ and the time of day that the organ has to function maximally, if that is upset, then the clock goes out. And unless you actually physically do stuff to put it back in every day, like move and stretch, you will find that the clock will go out of balance. Plus traveling in time zones puts the clock out. So, you know, especially if you work on an airplane. So we've done quite a lot with pilots um, who are, you know, on these cycles and cabin crew, resetting clocks are important. And the other thing is the elderly, and especially the elderly, because if they take a lot of medication, then the clock goes out. So it's interesting, if the clock's out, the body cannot heal itself. It's out of balance. So things are working when they should be resting and vice versa. So if you bring up the clock. Okay, coming now. Show you. Coming now. Right, so what the clock is, and this is really interesting, is if you look at the middle of the day, that's when the heart is most active. And also the light in the middle of the day, the light in your eyes is going back into the suprachiasmic node. And what happens is that then reprocesses the hypothalamus, which then feeds the energy to the pineal gland and resets all the clocks. Now, you know, you may, may say, <clears throat> well, how on earth did they discover this? Well, thousands of years ago, they would just stand absolutely still and observe the internal flows in their body. And they could feel the meridians changing. And that's how they knew the time of day of the flow of energy in the organs. Um, what they've done now in the, the turn of the century, there was, um, they've done a lot of study on the body clock now, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, they've done a lot of work with it. And they found that each cell has its own clock. So it's autonomous to uh, each, you know, a, a cellular clock. So all of your liver cells, clocks are set to a certain time of day, all your heart cells are set to another time of day, all your spleen cells are set to another time of day, and they synchronize output, and that is what, you know, um, sets the clock at a certain time of day. So when you look at this clock, you're seeing the time of day when the organ should be most active, and the time of day when the organ should be resting. So if you take, for example, the heart, the heart and the, the power to think, firing off thoughts, is also linked at that kind of day. The, the actual functioning of the brain itself is related more to the, the bladder and the, and the water energy because it's called the sea of marrow. But the actual firing off of thoughts is most active during the middle of the day because of the amount of blue light. So you can imagine, there you are now on a computer or on an iPad late at night, you've got the blue light going in. And the, and the clock is thinking, gosh, it's daylight. 
and upsetting the clock. So even lots of work on computers, mobile phones will upset the clock. Okay, so the heart, then that's without the small intestine absorbing the nutrients, you know, the heart and small intestine work together. Um, and the, the next thing to look at is on the opposite side of the clock from the small intestine is the liver and that cleanses your blood and also detoxifies during the night and does all these 500 chemical processes. So if the, if the small intestine, yeah, isn't working, the liver or, or the people eat late at night, the liver's having more to do in digestive function because it obviously leads into the small intestine and it won't be able to do other, the other processes that it needs to. The most fascinating one is last night. Yeah. I, we were into the, the new Netflix series, Hollywood, which I loved. And I wanted to watch the last two episodes. So it took us late, almost 1.30, two o'clock before we went to sleep. So that's the worst thing for my liver. Yeah. And also because the liver has to do a lot and it's linked to summer and spring, which is the sort of get up and go energy. If you go to bed after 11 o'clock, you get this second wind where those organs need to get stuff done. Um, and you will often find it difficult to get, you know, to go to sleep. Or if your liver is very active, it will wake you up between the hours of one and three. So many people get this problem where they actually wake up. And that's just because the liver is so overloaded, it's kicking up at this time of day. And then come one to three in the afternoon, you want to have a, a ziz. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. And the gallbladder energy in medicine, in Chinese medicine, also governs the hormones. So again, hormonal balance and things which are out may prevent you um, being able to get sleep or go to sleep. And of course, when you look at teenagers, for example, they're the, the guys that are staying up late at night and then getting up late in the morning. And that's not just because they're being difficult, it's because the teenage clock is very, very different from you know, a leveled out clock when they grow older. So you know, it predisposes you to um, have a different sleeping pattern. So look, now, at this. so look at this, the worst time of the day to have a heart operation would be midday, is that right? Absolutely, uh, yes. Uh, well, this is interesting. They've done a study. The, wor the, best time of, the worst time of day to have a heart operation is in the morning because the energy is rising into the heart. Mm. But they found that if you have um, an operation on your heart in the afternoon after the heart's been in excess, you'll heal much quicker because the heart has the energy to heal itself just after midday because it's maximum time. Fascinating. You don't want it when the energy is building up. You want after it's reached maximum and the healing time is cut. Now, the, the, one of the fascinating aspects of this clock is if you look at the stomach, that's why in our language it says breakfast like a king, because actually the stomach is strongest between seven and nine in the morning, and actually it's weakest between seven and nine in the evening. So actually it's, it's, um, it's really good to have breakfast to get you kick-started. The spleen, 
governs immunity. So what's happening is, and what this is fascinating from the point of view of the stomach, because the stomach supports the spleen. And from ages, I used to think, well, how's that? Why, why is that? And what happens is the stomach produces acid, which then kills all the bacteria in your food. So when it goes into the gut, the spleen then has, is, is not compromised by having all these um, bacteria in the food. And obviously the spleen governs your lymph system and your immune system. Um, and so your immunity is, is, is compromised if you know, the stomach's not working properly. So um, Alexandra has got a question. She says, I have a client who wakes up between four and six and 5 a.m. What does that mean on the body clock? Um, yeah, um, usually um, for um, between the hours of about three and five, it will be looking at uh, their breathing. Now, that's something I want to cover in a minute because I want to explore with you all different ways of breathing to create different effects in the body, okay? So one of the things with yoga, they call it pranayama, but pranayama means the manipulation of energy through the breath. So, you know, things like, um, it could be that what happens is that the body, the breath slows down in the body, um, then the body gets stressed and the person has to wake up. It could be, I mean, a lot of people who are um, who snore um, have or have sleep apnea. A lot of that is stressing the body, so the body is um, is um, going into stress mode, adrenal stress, because it's not getting the air it needs. So what I would say with that is, let's have a look at some of the breathing techniques that I'm going to show you in a minute to make sure that you actually maximize their breathing, um, and that may well stop them waking up that early in the morning. And Jill, so there's a question from Jill. Can we share the copy of the body clock? Absolutely. And if you go on to the wise ones, it's called wiseones.net, or I can actually send across a copy, a Vimeo film of me doing the body clock, which I just reset. I could actually give it to you, Michael. Okay, well, we can put that in, because what we do after we uh, video this uh, evening is we put it into the account. So I'll put also the body clock in the account as well. So you'll get the, if you log in, you'll get that. And then yeah, and how to do the, the flow of the body clock, reset it. Um, what's interesting is that each organ gives its energy to the next one in the clock. So if you're studying that, so say, for example, the lung and the skin are related because you breathe through your skin as well. So if the liver is very toxic, what it will do, it will put out its toxicity into the skin and then you get a lot of skin irritations. And um, so a lot of, if you like, um, uh, teenagers, they're eating lots of rubbish food and they're, you know, hormonally out of balance. And they may well get the acne and the skin complaints because the blood is dirty. So if you clean up the blood, you get your act together, then the skin will clear up. Now, interestingly enough, if I could make a fortune in, in care homes, because one of the leading things in care homes is constipation. And that's because 
you know, they're not breathing deeply enough. So the breath, actually, the lungs give the energy to the intestines. So if you're not breathing and you're sitting crouched in a chair and you've got, you know, um, bad posture, you're, um, you're likely to have problems with the intestines. What fascinates me is it doesn't matter how many drugs you give them, the organ won't work if it's compromised by poor posture. So let me, just, let me just give you an example, okay? What I want you all to do is um, sit up straight, okay? And then place your left hand on the back of your head, just where the ridge is, and your right index finger on your chin. So what I want you to do is stick the chin in and lengthen the back of the neck. Okay, so then you've got the flow of cerebral spinal fluid pumping up and down into the brain. You've got the, the blood going to the brain, everything, you've got the energy going to the brain. Now what I want you to do is to stick your chin forward as if you're looking at a computer screen. Okay, so here you've got, they, they call it the jade cushion. You've compressed the base of the skull and it's compromised the amount of blood, energy, nerves, flowing into the brain. So just by bringing the chin in and lengthening the back of the neck, you're allowing the free flow of energy into the brain. So it's why, you know, in ancient systems, remember they didn't have drugs thousands of years ago, but what they were aware of is posture. So that's why, you know, um, posture, getting people uh, to be you know, in Pilates to have good posture, functional movement is absolutely vital. And it's a case, you know, of wondering why you've got brain fag and it's just a case of sitting up straight, pushing your chin slightly down towards your throat and lengthening the back of the neck. Yeah. So then the, obviously once you've, you, you've, you've got rid of your, your waste product, you, you then have breakfast, your stomach puts the acid into the food. So then the food going, you know, into the um, system isn't compromised. It's not got microbes in it. Your spleen also, you know, the, the, the immune system is most active because you're taking in your environment and the spleen and the pancreas and the stomach and the pancreas are linked. So again, the pancreas is the deepest organ in the body and it's the the organ that is most compromised, especially with um, obesity and obviously diabetes. Um, and it's also the deepest feelings about yourself. And the one thing that compromises the immune system and the pancreas more than anything else is sugar. Sugar will compromise, it will create dampness in the body. And therefore, if there's dampness in the body, the immune system cannot function is compromised so um, antibiotics compromise the immune system because they make the immune system lazy same thing because they're killing the bacteria in the gut which are actually helping the gut wall to sustain itself um, and then what they're finding is if the gut wall is compromised then the, the energy from the intestines going into the blood is then going to compromise the brain, which then you get things in the brain that belong in the gut. And they're looking at, you know, things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. 
that there is the wrong component of blood going into the brain. And that's why the heart and blood to the brain are linked to the middle of the day. Now, if you look on the other side of the clock, you'll see something called the triple heater. And that as far as um, uh, Pilates instructors, very, very much is important, is this idea of fascia. And so how the ancient people used to see fascia was that it conducts energy around the body. So they, they said it's the biggest organ for conducting prana or energy around the body. And therefore, they made it into its own organ, which they linked to the triple heater. I'll explain a little bit about that um, more in a moment. But the triple heater also organizes the organs for allergic reactions. So the triple heater by nature is fiery and it will fire up when it thinks the body is under stress. And we know that um, your fascia will take the shape of your thoughts. So if you feel stressed and under threat, the fascia will tighten in response to the threat. And then what you have, which is a thaw, which is where the body naturally starts shaking and releases the stress out of the body. But what we do is we get more and more stressed. The body gets tighter and tighter. The connective tissue gets tighter. And we don't, on a daily basis, release the stress from the connective tissue. So what you do is if, if, um, if the spleen is weak and the immune system is compromised, it's then seeing things as, as an enemy that might not necessarily be so. So it's, it's creating allergic reactions and even attacking the body itself, so compromising the immune system, um, because it, it's, it's overworked because the spleen has been compromised and too weak. So you can see on the side of the clock, so the idea is if you've got a lot of allergic reactions going on, you've got a lot of irritation, stuff like that, and um, you need to strengthen the spleen so that um, you know, the body makes the right informed decisions of this is me, um, this is not me. Um, the interesting thing about the fascia is as well that it uh, conducts energy around the body. And it was quite interesting. I was doing a, a thing at FitPro once and I, you know, there was a guy, um, we, you must all try this um, at some stage. There was a guy in the front, front row and he said, oh, I don't get this energy lock. And I said, right. I said, come up and I'll show you. And what I did was I tested his muscle strength by pushing his arm down and he was strong as anything. And then I held a mobile phone to his head and he went completely weak and he couldn't believe it. So what the, um, the mobile phone does is it tunes in to the electromagnetic energy of the body and will interrupt the energy field. So it's just really aware of making sure you're not on the phone for too long or you talk to the phone rather than having it by your head because that will compromise the electromagnetic in the um, field in the body because it interrupts it. So things like that are creating an interruption 
of that energy field. And of course, the more relaxed you are, the better you conduct energy along the fascia. The more tense you are, the more the energy is blocked. And from the, um, the ancients' point of view, the energy is not just, um, it's not just life force as in vitality, it's also information. So if, if you're relaxed, the body is more likely to be able to heal itself because the energy and information is passing around the body to every single cell because obviously connective tissue even wraps around every cell in the body. And that information is allowing the body to repair itself, to send energy, to send information, different organs. Whereas if you're tight and the connective tissue is um, compromised on any level, then you know you, you, the body is not able to heal itself. So um, there's a question from um, question from Anna. Well, two questions from Anna actually. One is. Um, do you think there's a, uh, the, there's a link between muscle imbalances and maybe organ imbalances and vice versa? Yes. Um, so if, it, you know, if Anna's really interested in that, there, there is a really good, um, I'm just walking away from the computer, but um, there's a, a system called Touch for Health or Applied Kinesiology. And that is where they can actually test certain muscles to tell if there is an imbalance in certain organs. Um, and remember that an organ can be compromised from a physical function it does, from um, an emotional. So let me give you an example. Um, the kidneys are compromised by living in fear. So what happens to the organ, if you, if you can think of an organ as um, it's, it's soft and it's pliable. And what the ancient people used to say was, if the, there is too much energy and too much emotion in that organ, the organ will harden and it won't be able to function. And also excessive emotion will block the channel of energy to that organ. So they always they have a lovely phrase, um, you can always tell angry man, liver look cooked, because the liver hardens, you know, and you know, um, if it's compromised. So say for example, the liver give, the, the, each organ governs a system. So obviously the kidneys govern your urinary system, your hormonal system, the liver governs muscles, joints, and tendons, your ability to move. So, it also governs your eyesight. So if you're sitting in front of a computer, feeling really, really angry with very, very tense muscles, the, the 100 pounds worth of energy from that organ is going to fuel that emotion, fuel the tight muscles, yeah, fuel the eyes, and therefore it may compromise the liver's ability to uh, deactivate hormones, deal with fats, um, deal with those chemical processes that goes on because the energy is being fueled for something else. So, you know, from now on, I want you to be able to think of each organ as having a finite amount of energy, but what am I doing to drain that organ? So the, the one thing about the, the virus, a lot of people are saying it feeds on fear. 
So if we're living in conscious, you know, consistent fear, that will drain the kidneys. Um, so if we're living in constant sense of overexcitement, it's linked to heart problems, heart disease, because we're overdoing it. If we're living in a constant state of worry and low self-worth, we're compromising the immune system, the spleen and the stomach. And if we're feeling a lot of grief, of loss, which is that metal energy about letting go in autumn, we're compromising the lungs. So, you know, you can see how, um, and then the, as I say, lots of um, muscles associate with those organs. So they can actually te test it. One of the ways you can test the kidneys is by testing the strength of the iliopsoas. And if that is out on one side or the other, it will often link to an imbalance in the kidney energy. So yes, and I have a, definitely have a look at applied kinesiology. I think you'll find it fascinating, that link between muscles and organs. And in fact, what I could do is send you that as a chart as well, Michael. Okay, yeah, anything that you mentioned tonight, we can send it and put it into the accounts. The other question from Anna is, uh, she's been struggling with sun allergy for the last two years. Would you say that might be partially an effect of, the, of a struggling liver? Sun allergy. Yeah. Um, I would. Uh, this, the, it, that's an interesting one because it could be for a lot of reasons. Um, I tend to think. I mean, if it's the, the where where it's more liver is where you get those liver spots on the on skin, but um, an allergic reaction to sun is often because the internal energy of the body is over hot and it's unable to compromise the heat on the outside. So if I, if you give you an example, each organ has an environment that compromises it. So for example, if, um, you know, I'll give you an example, you're on a cross channel ferry um, and you're a lager lout and you're drinking lots of beer. So there's water inside, water outside, you're sick because the body's lost its ability to balance. So where the spleen is very damp by sugar internally, if the environment is very damp, then it compromises the body's ability. So if internally you're very hot, or there's a little bit of triple heater stuff going on there, then if you go out into the heat, the yin energy, the body's, um, if you like, cooling, is, um, has lost its ability to cool, I would have thought more likely to be that but what i would do is you know i i you can ask the body the questions and it will give you the answer through uh, either something called body talk or applied kinesiology um there's another question here from uh, dominica do you think the energy changes in a woman's body after giving birth and why do you think so women start experiencing serious health problems after having a baby what do you think has affected the clock um that's interesting. I think mainly, um, as I say, that is related to me to hormones. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's like something goes out, some people go back easily, and some people, it takes a lot more time. It can also be that, it, this is a fascinating story. I had a lady who was in my class, she was in my Pilates class, because I 
as I say, Michael, I'm just a juvenile at Pilates in <laughs> with you. Um, and I was asking her um, about her, you know, we were talking about the pelvic floor and her, she and her daughter were in the class and she said to me, I haven't got one. So I said, what do you mean she hasn't got one? Well, I haven't been able to feel it for years. And um, what was very interesting was she had a very, very overdeveloped um, chest and rib cage. And um, so um, I said to her, um, you know, um, she said, well, the babies were very big. And I said, ah, okay. Um, and what had happened was her breathing had shifted into the thoracic area, but she had never rebalanced the um, abdominal breathing and linking to the pelvic floor. So she'd learned to breathe into her chest and then never went back to abdominal breathing. And so nothing below the sort of diaphragm level um, worked again. So I think, you know, it could be a problem of hormonal change that goes on and maybe that doesn't go back quite the same or it can be very much to do with energy that's compromised in that you know in that abdominal area which needs to be reintegrated refixed um uh, let me just give you a very very simple i take the clock uh, the clock off we finish the clock for now um we can pull it back if we need it Okay, so what I'm going to do, um, I'm going to teach you just the, the really interesting um, breathing, a couple of really good breathing techniques, which they use in uh, yoga. As I say, they're called pranayama. But there's one um, which isn't a pranayama, and it's the full yoga breath. And it's quite interesting how we... Um, relate to this and the other is we're going to do some reverse breathing as well so the first one we're going to do is i want you just to if you sit up straight obviously because you need to sit on the edge of the chair so that you're actually on the sit bones so the spine is straight and then what you're going to do is you're going to place your energy uh, your hands on the abdomen and what i want you to do is i want you to breathe in and expand the abdomen and then breathe out and as you breathe out i want you to draw the navel back to the spine and then lift it up very slightly so you're activating the lifting of the diaphragm okay now breathe in again diaphragm drops down tummy goes out and then as you exhale navel goes in and then i want you to lift it up underneath the diaphragm so you can now feel that if people don't die um don't abdominally breathe their whole digestive system all the organs underneath the diaphragm just aren't being massaged hmm. and a lot of people like a certain sort of generation of my mother's generation where they were taught to pull their tummy in and wear the corset they don't abdominally breathe. So therefore that leads to a lack of peristalsis. So just getting people to breathe abdominally has a huge effect on things like Crohn's disease. Because obviously when people are in pain, they don't breathe there, but that is the one thing to get circulation back. 
Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. Would you finish the breathing? I've got another question. No, I haven't finished the breathing. All right. So so now I want you to place your hands on your ribs with the heel of the hand on the outside, fingertips in in the middle. So now what I want you to do is take a breath in and isolate the breath in your ribs. So draw the tummy in and breathe out, keeping the tummy drawn in and isolate the breath in the ribs. So that is thoracic breathing. Pilates. So, yeah, so Pilates breathing. But what you need to do when you do full yoga breath, especially at night, is you want to fill the abdomen as full as you can, then take the energy into the rib cage, then into the collarbones. So let's just try that. So hands down by your sides. Okay, now place the hands in front of your tummy. Imagine a ball, you're filling that ball. So breathe in, arms go forwards. Now breathe into your rib cage, lifting your arms up, feel the rib cage lift, and then bring the arms up above your head and it, bring it, breathe into the collarbones. Okay, now as you lower the hands, the collarbones move down, the ribs move in and the belly flattens. So you're using each level of your lungs. You're breathing from the bottom to the middle to the top, from the top to the middle to the bottom. Because a lot of people don't use their whole lung capacity. And what's fascinating is the lungs as organs are in charge of your physical body. So without your lungs, you're scuppered. <laughs> what the lungs do is they take in energy and they let go of the rubbish, the carbon dioxide. So if you're not breathing fully, the oxygenation of the body is, is you know, not happening. So even if you just get up in the morning and do, you know, lots of full yoga breaths, just to really get as much energy in the body as you can. Because what can happen is that abdominal area gets frozen and then people just breathe into the middle of the chest. But actually, you've got more air sacs in the bottom of your lungs. So lockdown breath, basically, is first thing in the morning, get up, start yeah. breathing yeah. exercises. Yeah, just, you know, stand up and just take full yoga breath, breathing in, breathing out. You know, really full yoga breath, breathing in. And as you breathe in, you're pulling the energy down, down into the body. Yeah. So as you breathe in, the, and when you raise your arms up, it's deeper. So if you just give you an example, breathe in and raise your arms just to shoulder height. Breathe in as full as you can. Now raise your arms above your head and you double the volume of your breath. Mm, fascinating. So the idea is to, um, to do some really strong breathing. And I'll do you one more pranayama first thing in the morning my neighbors think i'm absolutely mad but the idea is the brain has been asleep and we know that the brain is 30 percent more oxygen hungry than the other organs in the body so we need to wake the brain up so a really good way of doing it so michael you can you can do it. everybody else stand up right this is really really good raise your arms above your head with the palms out Take a deep breath in. Now turn your palms to face backwards. Make soft fists and exhale strongly, drawing the arms down. Yeah, breathe in. Right deep into the body and then exhale. 
really strongly. Yeah, breathe in, hold the breath, and then exhale strongly. Yeah? And if you do, I do 120 of those every morning. <laughs> Hasn't done much for my brain power, but the, the key thing is it's you can only breathe in as much as you breathe out. So the exit is to release that stuff that's been happening during the night. And, and really, um, and so breath work is, you, is very important. Now, what we're gonna do now is we're gonna reverse the breathing. So what we're going to do is we're gonna breathe as you were in the womb. And what this breathing does is it strengthens the ability of the body to pump energy out to the periphery. And this is, it give you a real idea of working with fascia. So what you've got is you've got the fascia, if you like, you grew from your navel. And from there you grew and grew and grew from a single cell to a mini human being. So they often say if you do reverse breathing for a short period of time, you can reset the energy and then, you know, you go back to your normal breathing. And so what happened in the womb was when you breathe, if you place everybody place their finger, uh, not in the navel because it's uncomfortable, but two finger widths below the navel. And I want you to imagine that your finger is hot and you're going to pull your, your um, tummy in away from the finger. And as you do so, you'll feel yourself want to round slightly as you pull your tummy in. And then as you in as you release, you exhale. So you expand, okay? So the idea with the fascia is it's pulling the energy into the center and then releasing it out. Now, this reverse breathing is very good if you want to re-energize the fascial system of the body. So we'll talk about it in a minute. So I want everybody to stand up. And this is something that's, related to you Michael and spirals is I want you to raise your right hand sort of just above your head with the palm facing the sky and your left hand down by your waist palm facing the floor and what I want you to imagine is you're spiraling in towards your navel really squeeze everything and then open it out which is all the spiraling that you've done yeah so you're spiraling the energy in. So breathe in and pull the energy into your center, squeeze it, and then breathe out and release the energy out, feeling it flow to the periphery. So breathing in, pulling in, pulling in, tighten, tighten, tighten around that central point, and then breathe out and relax. Yeah? You got that? Yeah. Yeah? So. The idea is that when you're breathing in, you're pulling in towards your anatomical center, that point. And then as you breathe out, you relax the energy. So the idea is the in-breath is active. It's pulling you tighter. And the out-breath is passive. And it's releasing the energy. So there's a question here from Jill. Can Sue say something about postures and movements for, say, kidney imbalances, heart presence of yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So as far as um, the seasonal quality of 
the organs and the meridians that flow in the body, the um, kidney meridian flows from the sole of the foot up the front, just below the collarbone. So all of the, what I call that fear and that holding in is very much that tight energy of the, the kidneys. So anything that's like opening, that's quite expansive, like, you know, bridge, um, that's going to open the body out, is going to open the kidney energy. So it's that opposite fear. The bladder, which is its pair, governs the whole of the spine and the autonomic nervous system. Now, the key thing with the, um, with the organs is forward folds and back bends are going to open the meridians for the kidney and the bladder, <laughs> right? Um, side bends, sideways movements are going to open up the energy for the liver um, and, and because of the, and the gallbladder. So side movements back to center, side movements back to center. So it's, so actually, if you can think of us when we were an amoeba, we were going, you know, just where the tide took us. And then we decided to swim in a direction. So side bends, very good side work, lateral movements, um, you know, side plank, all that kind of thing. Really good for opening the liver. Fantastic. And then um, the heart is, is much more into the chest, into the arms, yeah. Mm -hmm. stomach and spleen are into the quads into the fronts of the body you know very much into that sort of thing so yes different energy lines to open up different organs um, one of the things i wanted to say um um also about fascia is um and so the idea in the in the in the the traditional medicine is it conducts energy so it conducts energy um, around the body. And so um, if the fascia is tight, especially you'll get, so if you're afraid and the body is under attack, it will go round the fascia that is around the brain and the spinal cord. So that's where we hold stress because if something happens to the brain, the body's scuppered. The other place it goes to is the pericardium, the sac around the heart, because the organs know that if something happens to the heart, they're not gonna get fed that day. Mm. So we tend to collect stress around the spine and, we, and that's why there's so many back problems related to stress. And we collect, you know, stress around the heart, emotional stuff, which connects around the pericardium, which protects the heart. And the other thing which is really, really important from a Pilates point of view is the sacral pump. So you're um, basically your sacrum um, and the ability for the sacrum to, to move pumps the cerebral spinal fluid up and then around the brain and back so when you're doing things like pelvic tilt it's if if the if the pelvis and the sacrum are compromised that fluid is not pumped up and around the brain and spinal cord just as if you know we looked at the back of the head so if the back of the head is compromised 
then that lack of movement, which is why, you know, when we do things like coming up, it's really, really important to engage the neck before you come up. So you're not compromising the head going back. So I want you to really be aware of this. You know, I wish I was coming to Catalonia because we were going to do all our sacral pumping. Um, but it just... We're going to Catalonia. Um, but it, it's the ability, so if you think about it, if your pelvis and your hips are really locked and you've been sitting, you know, in that sort of slouch position and the pump is not working. So, you know, it's really, really important to get that real mobility in the hips and the spine, because if you don't get that fluid pumping around the brain, and the spinal cord, it's the environment for the nervous system. So what happens is we get really stressed, everything tenses up, our spine loses its mobility, and then, you know, the, the, the nervous system is compromised. So can you talk a little bit about, I mean, you teach other methods like Tai Chi, other techniques, Chi. Yeah. What do these other methods bring to the body with the, all these variations? How does it affect the organs? How does it affect the body clock? with our Tai Chi and with the yoga and with the um, uh, Qigong? Okay, so certain movements will open up the energy or unblock the energy to certain, um, certain organs. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the energy of the gallbladder going to that. And what is interesting also, it's the the idea of the drishti it's where your eyes are looking that will also adjust the position of the head in the correct position so you know um and the movement and the and the eyes are very very important so say for example um if you're um you know doing a posture so if you um you know say raise your right arm up above your head um, and then you turn to look down to the, side, to the left side of your body, you're opening up the whole of the channel for the gallbladder. So um, um, deep squats, for example, open up the energy to the liver because it flows along the inside of the legs into the adductors and things like that. So um, as I say, certain movement patterns um, so when you're doing the flow of the movement, you know, it's, um, you're actually at, you're actually physically massaging the organ as you do the movement, as well as opening up that energy channel. So, yeah. so with the different methods and the different movements of Tai Chi and different movements of Qigong, you're going to bring a variety of different types of styles of movements and practices. Yeah. But, but what's so interesting, it's, the movements are really precise because they're not just, you know, hands anywhere. The idea is that when your, your body is moving your hands, not your hands moving your body. So, so that you have a sense of it, let me just get something. What I want you to do is to stand up, everybody. So I want you to be able to feel it because then you'll see what I mean. So what I want you to do is place your right hand on your left knee, okay? Now what I want you to do is draw the hand up, keep drawing it up and turn towards the right, looking at that right hand as far back as you can. So now you're getting into your right kidney. 
So now what I want you to do is imagine you're grabbing something in your fingers. Yeah. Now turn all the way round with your arm above your head to the left. Now you're getting into the left kidney, squeezing that. Then you come back to the center and lower your right hand down the front. Okay. So what you're doing is by doing the movements, you're working into the organ. So you don't, so you don't think of movements as muscles. You think of movement as working which organ? Energy. Well, yeah, so movement, movement is muscles uh, with organs moving and energy rather than, yeah. um, than muscles moving. Let me give you two examples. One of the ones is the idea of um, engaging pelvic floor and transverse abdominis. Yeah. What you would do in uh, Qigong and Tai Chi, you would feel the energy as a ball in the area just below the navel. So instead of it being a linear movement, a flat movement of muscle going up and going in and going front to back, you feel it as a ball that you're squeezing the ball. So it's more of a, an energy. So, you know, if you close your eyes and imagine that you've got a ball, which is two finger widths down, two finger widths in from the navel. And rather than, um, you know, sort of, doing a linear flat movement. I want you to feel the ball squeezing from front to back, side to side, top to bottom, and you're squeezing that ball and then releasing the ball. So it's more energetic. So they do something um, in yoga called Uddiyana Bandha. Uddiyana Bandha. So Uddiyana Bandha is not muscle, but it's allowing the energy to be lifted up into the chest. So what happens when we get very low and we get very heavy and we get very emotional and we get very boggy, we need to be able to manipulate the energy. So rather than the energy being a muscular contraction, it's pulling the navel in and lifting it right up under the diaphragm so the chest expands and we become lighter. So it, it, instead of being muscular, you're thinking more of energy and manipulating energy. So let me give you one more, ex a little, um, if the mind is really busy and the mind is going tuk, 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 yeah, you need to be able to slow the brain down. So it, say for example, you know, you're, you're thinking a lot at night, what you would do is you'd close your eyes, right? Make sure you're sitting straight. You'd breathe in and draw the energy right down to the pelvic floor. And then as you breathe out, you'd lift the pelvic floor. And then you breathe in again, releasing all the way down. And then on the exhale, lift the pelvic floor. So what you're doing basically is you're working with really slow energy to ground the energy back into the body, bringing it down out of the head. So that takes me into a natural thing. So is this linked with meditation? Yeah. So one of the, I think the, the so you have, um, if you can think of yourself as a physical being, yeah, but you're also an energetic being. You're also, because we know what's so fascinating about this connection is that, um, in the West, we studied 
usually a dead body, you know, and it's what came up in the talk, one of your first talks, you know, Cadova studying that, knowing anatomically exactly where everything was, but the body was dead. Whereas the ancient people studied a living body. So they were very aware of the energy in the body and not just because the minute a body dies, the energy goes. So they studied energy through stillness, through movement, through meditation. So they understood that certain emotions, and that's where you come into this psychopostural. When you feel certain emotions, you can feel certain muscles tighten. Um, and then remember that your body and the connective tissue is also relinked into your mind. So the body is taking the shape of your thoughts. Then um, if you go on to the level of the mind, you can also uh, have different thoughts. So the art is to go beyond the level of the mind. So then you can observe the mind and then you're in a position of choice. You can change the mind, but if you think you're the mind, then you're controlled by the mind. So the ancients used to say, and I think Pilates is really, really good because it's a way of being able to concentrate, focus the mind on different areas of the body to align for alignment, for mobilization, for, um, you know, activating a certain tiny um, part of the body while keeping the rest of the body still. So it's a way of being able to train the mind to work on the body. So if, for example, we think, the, 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 the Chinese you say, English people think too much. So our mind is going thought, 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 thought. So the energy of the brain is being used to think. Now, if you can imagine if that energy was directed not to thoughts, but into the body, it can be used as a way of energizing or redirecting energy around the body or healing the body. So how you get beyond the level of the mind? is you have to train it. So I would say this glass, which did have water in it, but now hasn't, wished it was full of Prosecco, but there we go. Um, you can use a candle, that's particularly good, but what you can do is you look at the glass and you say to your mind, right, we're gonna look at the glass. And then the mind goes, oh, must make that phone call. And you say, glass. That woman didn't speak to me, glass. And you train the mind to be able to focus on one thing. So all you're doing is you're training it. So um, usually most people use the breath. So you breathe in, you breathe out, you pause. You breathe in, you breathe out, you pause. And then the mind goes off, you go, we're doing breathing mind. You breathe in, you breathe out, and you pause. So then you become aware of when the mind's gone off and on what subject. Because so often we get lost in that subject. So then you begin to be able to manipulate your mind. You can visualize, you can imagine, you can, but the mind is your tool because you've trained it. So the art is with breathing. And so the, the idea is your mind, your emotions, your energy, your physical body, 
they're all being experienced by you. But you are more than your mind. You are the experiencer because without the experiencer, you wouldn't have anything. You wouldn't have any energy. You wouldn't have a brain. So you are here to experience the world, but also to experience your brain, your emotions, so you can change them. So you're aware, you know, if I wake up in the morning and, the, and the, my mind's having a bad, bad hair day, you just say, right, mind, we're going to start again. This is starting rather badly. So you go back and you start again. So the idea is you have what's known as witness consciousness. You're able to observe, oh, my brain is, that was totally unnecessary. Really, do I need to think that way? And you can change it. And one of the things you do is you breathe in, pause, breathe out, pause, breathe in, pause, breathe out, pause. And once you get familiar with that, you don't focus on the in or the out, you focus on the pause between. And the pause is that constant flood of consciousness that's observing the inhale, observing the exhale, but isn't either the inhale or the exhale, it's the experiencer. And what that happens, if you do it over time, then when things happen, you're able to step back from it and look at it as opposed to being in it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. The question again has come in. So with our Pilates movements, afternoon movements, morning movements, take away seasons. Is there something like you need to, obviously that was really interesting for opening up, you know, with rotational movements. Yeah. What should we be doing in the morning? Which movement should we be doing in the afternoon? Okay, so I think, um, so if you think of the, the morning as being a yang phase, yeah, more active, <clears throat> and the afternoons a more yin phase, a more passive. Um, but, you know, you can't necessarily design a class like that. But what you can do is you can make you know, um, the class predominantly more yang, lots more side bends, a lot more active, maybe, you know, standing stuff, um, more movement. But if you're doing that later in the day, then you make the yin phase, which is more the ground, um, more the, um, the, you know, more the flowing, working with the back, working with the spine on the floor and doing things where you're working with the spine on the floor and doing some Pilates movements like that at night are really good. Because one of the things you've got in your brain is what they call the thalamus. Now the thalamus is like a volume control. And so if, for example, you are um, thinking, oh, I'm no good, I'm a load of rubbish, that shouldn't have happened today, da 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 da, da, da. Just by altering the volume control, turning that down and turning something else up, like going into your body, doing some Pilates, the volume control on your brain starts to switch. So I'll give you an example, right? So if you um, close your eyes, right? And what I want you to do is I want you to think of um, your, the center of your chest. And I want you to really go into the center of your chest. Really focus all your attention on the center of the chest. Okay, now I want you to think of your right ear. 
and really focus on your right ear. So in order to think of the right ear, you've got to think of the heart area less. Now think of your left big toe. Explore your left big toe. Really go around it, feel it, sense it. So immediately, you're not thinking of the right ear, you're thinking of the left big toe. And then come back to the center of the... So what you do with Pilates, and which is a great thing as teachers, as practitioners, is you're often giving people's minds a rest because they're coming to Pilates to refuel their body, to get to isolate areas, focus on areas, focus on mobility, focus on functional movement, focus on, you know, restoring their energy. And that is so important to stop this endless and being able to use the mind and direct it back into the body because our switches get switched on and we can't switch it off. The idea is to make the, the mind more neuroplastic and, you know, by doing Pilates, but the idea also is your intention. So the key thing is when you do your Pilates or you do some form of exercise, you always set an intention because when you set the intention, the body goes, oh, great. The cells go, all right, we'll make that happen. So having an intention for the class is really, really important setting the intention right okay guys in this class we're going to do that and immediately everybody's intention is on that and you will get that result so sometimes you come in you go oh i'm going to do a pilates class you know you just do it have an intention well i know um tonight we have people that do know you because we have um uh laura page we have uh where are we on my glasses on um kate noble we were with us last year in California. And for those people who don't know you, uh, one of the things that Sue is infamous for is <laughs> face reading. Uh. So Sue, just to give a little bit of sample, take my face. How would you face read me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right, so looking at the face, right, you, you would think now what is, uh, what shape is the face? Well, it's not square, so it tends to be longer. So that is more the face of someone who, who's really good, quite likes to plan, um, you know, likes to, you know, get things organized. And the interesting thing is his ears are really flat to his head, which means that you're a good listener. If your ears stick out, you'd be like Prince Charles and then you'd be ordered to really stubborn. Um, your uh, chin, <laughs> yes, is again, a tad turned up. You've got a strong jaw though, which means that you'll get things done and you'll call a spade a spade if you need to. But um, your um, upper lip, which is the stomach, is quite thin. So that actually, don't do that. It means that your stomach is not strong. So, um, but the broadness of your mouth 
means that you're quite generous. So, and your nose, yeah, <laughs> the bridge of the nose. So the nose is actually the spine, yeah. And um, you, so you've got, yeah, and your neck is the, is the top. Where people have a really narrow bit there is um, often with their neck being quite compromised. Yours is quite wide, so that's fine. And you've got quite turned sideways. No, down, head down, that's it. So your, eye, your, your eyes are quite, no, up sideways turn sideways because your eyes are quite deep set and your face it, there's quite a lot of your face in front of the top of your nose which is the gabella which means that you can be slightly impulsive <laughs> always yeah um and but the eyes are quite deep set which it actually means that there's a side of you that needs to recharge on your own as well you need to because your eyes are quite big which means you take in a lot of emotion and stuff but also that you what is good for you is the ability to be able to recharge your energy so you're giving out a lot but you need to recharge it thank you it's That's true good. i cannot deny it is absolutely true i am ready for a recharge <laughs> it's funny because um doing the classes each day although it's been great to do the classes every day because my body feels very different and definitely as i say my derriere has gone up three inches uh, from doing the bar class but yeah. it also is um pretty much full on you know everyday classes and stuff like that so it's yeah recharge sounds good to me but uh, i think the key as well you know looking at it from a, um, a pilates point of view as well you know all your spiraling movements are so good because they're moving the fascia that, you know, it's not a linear movement, which tends to be like weights, more muscular. You know, all that spiraling is so brilliant because all of energy works in spirals. You mentioned earlier uh, sugar. Yeah. If there's one thing to avoid, you would say with sugar. Uh, is there any other things for the organs that, that we consume a lot of that's not good? Well, um, I think, um, for example, sugar will compromise the spleen because it creates dampness and so you know it um and also the pancreas obviously um and the liver but um yeah so avoiding loads and loads of sugar trying to cut down on the sugar even juicing with too much fruit can compromise it so really make sure you balance it with a lot of vegetables and things like that um Fats are the food that will compromise the liver particularly. And green vegetables obviously are good for the liver because anything that's spring, that's young, eating reheated food because it's no longer got any energy is again will compromise the liver. So that sort of thing. The heart, if you've got a lot of heat in your body, funnily enough, and lots of ulcers or signs of heat, too many berries or red wine can compromise it. So the heart needs to be balanced. Um, meat, again, creates internal heat. Cheese creates a lot of internal heat. So if you've got internal heat, then I would watch those sort of things. Loads and loads of water. Water helps you to hydrate. And one of the things is we looked at the triple heater. And what the triple heater is, it gets moisture into the fascia 
by your breath, by what you're eating, by what you're eliminating. So the large intestine will take water in as well. And so hydration, really, really important for the fascia, lots of water um, to make sure that the hydration, and of course fascia needs fire and water because it needs movement to create its mobility so you don't get any fuzzing, but it needs the water to hydrate. So that, and then, um, you know, for the, for the lungs, pungent foods, things like ginger, mustard that make your nose go and things for the um for the kidneys are any sea vegetables so things like chlorella spirulina all those seaweeds and things like that really really good for the kidneys not too much salt but just a little bit and what about sleep ah my favorite subject so um quickly because i know we're nearly after time um there's an amazing book called why we sleep and that is by, um, can't remember. Anyway, it's why we sleep. And um, it talks about how as human beings, we, uh, or as apes rather, we lived in trees. And up until that time, we needed NREM sleep to recharge the body and, you know, things like that. Now, we, we need that sleep to recharge the body. But what happened was we then built fire. And we came down out of the trees, we had the fire to protect us from the wild animals and the beasties and things like that. And then we started having NREM sleep. So NREM sleep is where you have rapid eye movement, but in order for this to happen, your body has to be frozen. So the body is frozen so that the, you can deal with all your dreams and everything without killing the person in the bed next to you. Now we would, uh, the idea is you need NREM, no REM sleep, no movement, to recharge the body, but you need REM sleep, rapid eye movement, to defrag the brain. So what happens is things that have happened during the day are then processed in the NREM sleep compared to past memories, which actually sometimes can make really weird dreams, and then filed away from the short-term memory into the long-term memory. So then you've got an empty slate for the next day. But if you don't get enough REM sleep, you then don't, you, you begin to pile up things in your short-term memory. And then, you know, you start to lose memory. So the idea is sleep, so important, but going to bed before the gallbladder time. So the idea to really recharge is to go to bed maybe 10.30 and then get up, you know, in the morning when it gets light. Uh, there's some questions. People are really fascinated by the face reading. How do we get more of Sue Wood? How do we get more of the face reading? Uh, uh, do you have a website? I have a website. Um, I'm thinking of running a course in it. Oh, good. Fabulous. We could do that. Um, or come to Kefalonia next year. <laughs> Spend the whole week doing face reading. Yeah. Uh, absolute 2021, here we come. But I do think, you know, guys, you know, your, the work you do with Pilates is so, so important because it's getting people back into their physical body and because people are neurologically exhausted, but they're not physically going into their body. So, you know, working with the thalamus and really getting them to think of that hip, thinking of that leg. We don't know the power of what we're doing. It's really, really, really special. So one minute takeaway from tonight. I've, I'm taking away with me breathing in the morning. 
Yes. That obviously some movements, thinking about the organs, not the muscles, but thinking about which movement, which movements are going to be good for the organs. Yeah. Thinking about moving using fascia, so it's not a direct from here to here, but it's the journey in between the movement. It's not, you know, that's what you do. It's the journey from A to B, and that how do you get there? You know, what's that movement? What's going on inside my body as I do the movement? And the other thing is, you know, at this time is to just be aware, go beyond the level of the brain and see if you can practice that, you know, watching the pauses, then become the pause, watch the inhale and the exhale. And you immediately become aware that, oh, my brain, why do I need to think that? I don't, I'm going to change it to this. Sue Wood, you are amazing. You are a feast of knowledge. You are, uh, it's been fantastic. The time has gone like that. And I just enjoyed it. I really have. Well, we enjoy you. Are, the thing is, you, if you don't know Sue, let me say, she's always like this. I've never seen Sue not like this. Morning, breakfast, and evening, as we spent weeks and, and together. Uh, you have so much energy. You obviously have an amazing journey. Uh, and, and yeah, when you do your yoga on the beach in Kefalonia, it is just special to see you guys out there in the morning at seven o'clock doing your yoga. Uh, but no, thank you so much for joining us this evening. That, that's all right. And let me just say one very slight thing. The, uh, the Dalai Lama used to say, we need to live in parasympathetic, calm, rest, digest, chilled. Then we need to rise up to sympathetic, but then come back down out of it. So the idea is we don't live in this sort of sympathetic mode. We live chilled. And then we go up, we rise to the occasion, but always come back down. So he always says, live at the bottom of your ocean. Rather, go to the surface, fun, but come back down. Did the Dalai drink red wine? No. <laughs> I don't think so, but he laughs a lot. No, <laughs> Sue, thank you so much. Please stay safe, stay care. Guys, thank you for joining us. Um, thank you so much. The account, the clock might be in the account before the video. So if you start messaging me about that, we'll get that in tonight. Take well, care. Yeah, and if anybody wants to send me any questions, you know, just raffle them off. I will direct how to get in touch with you on, in the account. All right. Thank you so much. Yes, bye. Thank you very much.